Today we're starting a new sermon series. Um, Hopefully, when I mention the title of it to you, it won't be the first time you've heard about it. The sermon series is called Jesus is the Question, and it's based off of a book that was written by Martin Copenhaver. Martin Copenhaver titled his book, Jesus is the Question, the 307 Questions that Jesus Asked, and the Three Answers the three questions that he answered. Now, I'm hoping that this isn't the first time that you've heard about this book because I'm hoping that many of you, if not all of you, have received this book at your house. Can you give me like some acknowledgement if you know what I'm talking about? Great. Now, if you see people raising their hands and you think, I didn't get a book. I want a book. Why don't I have a book? You just let us know and we will send you a book. We did our best to be able to send them to everybody that we knew was active in our database, but you know how databases are, so just let us know, and we'll be sure to get this to you. We want to make sure to get this to you because we recognize that this has been a long time of being separate from one another, and we want to do absolutely everything that we can to bring ourselves together as we come back into this new programmatic year. So that means that when you go home today, your children, your youth, all of us here in our sermons, and any spiritual formation opportunities that we offer, particularly small groups, are going to be centered on the same book. We're going to be asking the same questions each and every week, which means that our kids are going to be able to teach us things over the dinner table or breakfast table or lunch table or over the playground, things that maybe we haven't been able to explore here and vice versa. So we really encourage you to have conversations about this book particularly if you have not been in a small group and you want to be in one, or maybe you've been in a small group and it's sort of got a little wonky over the last year as you were on Zoom and off Zoom and trying to find a way to make it happen. Maybe you've never been in a small group and you'd really like to. If you fall in any of those categories, I want you to contact us at the office. You have a little thing. If you go online, you can go in there, contact Deborah Kwan. You can contact me, reach out, contact anybody. And we will make sure that we get back to you. But we don't want to miss any opportunity for us to be able to explore some of these questions together because we believe that God is not a God that is set out to provide a whole bunch of answers. We believe that for a variety of reasons. It appears as we read through scripture, it appears as though the God that we follow is more interested in asking questions and having us ask questions then God is interested in providing answers. So each week we're going to take one of the questions that we see Jesus asking, one of the many questions that Jesus is asking in our scripture for that week. So this week we're looking at John 1 verses 35 through 42. If you've been around the church for a while, you might recognize some of this scripture. This comes after, it's all at the start of John, when John is talking about how Jesus is the light and the word of God and how all of creation came through him. And then it talks about John the Baptist came and people said, are you the one? And John the Baptist said, no, I'm not him. And then John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and the spirit of God comes on Jesus. And that's where we find ourselves today. So he has seen the spirit of God fall on Jesus. John's disciples aren't sure if John's telling the truth or not. You know what? It's really funny. I'm going to totally pick on Darren because I can. In my last uh, previous congregation, I used to say $500 every single time the phone rings. So we'll give him a freebie this time. But next time, you know, 500 bucks right off the bat. What do you think, Darren? Sound fair? No. (laughs) He says no, it does not. 
Um, so this, at this point in time, you know I'm joking, Darren. Yeah, you know I love you. Yeah, he does. Um, so this is the moment where Jesus is walking past and John points to him and is trying to say to his disciples, look, this is the guy that I was telling you about. So this is verse 35. The next day after Jesus was baptized, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. So when Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and they saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, you are the son of John. You, you are Simon, the son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Friends, I'm going to invite you to take a moment and join me as we pray. God, we pray that as we come to your scripture passage for today, that you will open up the words to us so that we might understand your wisdom and your truth. We pray that you will speak through my words, imperfect as they are, into our ears, imperfect as we are, and bring something that we can hang on to that is worthwhile, that will change our lives. Because none of us came in here with everything that we ever wanted. All of us walked into this room with a question, wanting something, looking for something. Show us what that is and show us where to find it. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A man once posted in an online forum looking for love advice, and he asked online, when you are dating online and someone asks you, what are you looking for on this site? What is an appropriate answer? He says, I want a girlfriend, but I don't want to appear to be needy. And the advice that he received back was blunt. Honestly, said the responder, when I get questions like that, my first thought is, well, I'm certainly not looking for you. <laughs> the truth is, I don't know what I'm looking for, and often neither does the other person, and I bet you don't know what you're looking for either. I think that, says the responder, when you get a message like that, you're talking to someone who is putting the relationship they want before the people that they will be with. They are looking for someone to fit a mold. They are not looking to get to know someone for who they are. I wonder, can you sympathize with this feeling? Have you ever had someone in your life who was determined to see you a certain way, to pigeonhole you into a particular role, regardless of who you actually are? Have you ever felt stuck in someone else's mold? For instance, I have a really good friend. He books talent for several large music venues up and down the central coast. And he is never quite sure if someone wants to be his friend in order to get to know him or if they are just looking for an easy way to get free tickets. 
My husband, Andy, he has a friend who graduated at the top of her class in computer science at a top university and then founded a company that works with the unbanked rural poor in Kenya. But she is regularly disregarded by Western investors because as a black African woman, they underestimate the quality of her education and her ability to lead in innovation. Many pastors, we also get stuck in a mold. For instance, after many years of my searching for articles on biblical Hebrew conjugations and nuanced theological terminology, Google now delivers me ads that are intended for a 60-year-old man. No doubt, that's the mold of the pastor according to the internet. Now, I would imagine that if we had time to go around this entire, this entire room and each of you would be able to share with me a feeling that you once had when you were stuck in someone else's mold. And being pigeonholed, it doesn't often feel very good. I remember a story my mom once told me about when she was in the teacher's lounge at the school that she worked at. One of her friends in the lounge was inviting people in the room to go to her house for a Bible study. And when the friend caught eyes with my mom, she looked at her and said, oh, that's just an invitation for my Christian friends, which sort of caught my mom by surprise. How was it that this person who she had counted as a friend could have prejudged her so wrongly, could have pigeonholed her into a mold that didn't include faith, that didn't fit her. It was hurtful. There are a few things that can erode a relationship faster than misjudging someone or pigeonholing them unfairly. I don't think that many of us go around with expectations that we are going to be perfectly known by all people, but I do believe that most of us would like to feel like we are seen beyond a single dimension, beyond the single dimension of what we have to offer other people, like my friend on the Central Coast, or beyond the single dimension of what school we went to, like Andy's friend in Kenya, or beyond age and gender stereotypes like me. And scripture shows us that we are not alone in that desire. Jesus also wants to be seen as more than one dimension by the people around him. And Jesus wants to be seen in three dimensions by each and every one of us. As Martin Copenhaver notes in his book, this question that Jesus asks in our scripture for today, this question, what are you looking for? It's one of the few questions that Jesus chooses to repeat throughout his ministry. In John's gospel alone, Jesus asks some version of this question three separate times. He asks it in our passage for today at the beginning of his ministry when people are starting to follow him. He asks it again when there's a small contingent of soldiers who come to take him away to arrest him. And then he asks it again after the resurrection when the women come to his tomb to meet him. By repeating this question, by asking this question immediately after he is raised from the dead, it makes us think, maybe this isn't just a question. Maybe this is the question of our faith. 
Friends, when you and I come into this space, when we come to meet Jesus wherever we are, what are we looking for? In the Bible, people wanted lots of different things when they came to meet Jesus of Nazareth. Some people, they wanted to be healed. Some people wanted to have their curiosity be satisfied. Some people wanted an affirmation that they were really, really smart or that they were really, really good or that they were really, really holy. Some people came to Jesus simply because they were desperate and they had run out of options and it was the last thing that they could possibly try. Even the disciples were unsure about what they were looking for when they came to meet Jesus Christ. When he asked them what they thought he was, who they thought he was, most of them said that they were looking for a prophet. Only one of them said that they were looking for a Messiah, for someone to save him. But even then, that guy wasn't looking for the kind of Messiah that rode in on a donkey only to get off when he got into town and look for somewhere to eat dinner. He was looking for the kind of Messiah that strode in on that white stallion with the blood of Caesar on his sword, valiant and victorious. The gospel of John wants to be so very clear to us about what we will find when we come to meet Jesus. Our scripture passage for this morning comes after 34 different verses defining who Jesus is exactly. He is the light of the world. He is the word of God. He is the logic of the holy. He is the conduit of all creation. Jesus came to fulfill the law, grace upon grace, God in the flesh. But by the time that Jesus meets John the Baptist, by the time that Jesus starts to make friends, we see confusion start to settle in. People wanted John to save them. John said he wasn't the one. Instead, he says that he saw the spirit of God descend on this man, Jesus, but no one else was really sure. John was sort of weird to begin with, all that honey and fur. So John points out Jesus to his followers the next day. And because of their faith in John, a couple of them decide to follow Jesus. And we get the sense that Jesus is sort of looking at them with a little bit of side eye. And he says to them, what are you looking for? And somehow, the disciples managed to assuage Jesus' skepticism. How does he do that? How do they do that? They ask Jesus a question. They return Jesus' question with another question. It's interesting that when Jesus asks them what they're looking for, they don't say, we're looking to see if John was right about you. They don't say, we are looking for a Messiah. They don't say, we are curious to see if you're going to do something amazing. Instead, they ask him a question back. They say, teacher, where are you staying? Or in other words, teacher, where do you live? Who are you? What are you about? And after following him to his home, spending the day with him, after getting to know Jesus just a little bit, we see that Andrew goes from calling Jesus teacher to calling him Messiah. When they paused to get to know who Jesus is, rather than measuring whether he was going to fit into their preconceived mold, a mold that looked a lot like John the Baptist, It turns out that those disciples 
found exactly what they were looking for. So my friends, when you and I come to Jesus, are we looking for him to fit into our preconceived mold of what we want? Or are we looking to get to know who Jesus is as a person? Do we enter into a relationship with Jesus because we want him to be able to fit our needs, our need to be affirmed as good or intelligent or as sufficiently religious? Or do we want maybe Jesus to just satisfy our curiosity, to end our questioning, to provide us an answer and some certainty? When you and I come to Jesus, are we looking for him to fulfill something in us? Or are we willing to approach Jesus with wonder and surprise? Are we willing to come to Jesus and ask him a question rather than just expecting him to provide us an answer? Friends, it is my hope that as we go through the next several weeks, you and I will spend some time thinking about what it is that we are looking for, not just what it is, but who it is we are looking for when we come into the person of Jesus Christ. And I know beyond a doubt that when we ask that question, we will be entered into a world of questions beyond it. I can't wait to do that with you and to go in that direction together. Amen.